Our scripture is from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Man, lots of gospel goodness today. Amen? Y'all open your Bibles. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 10. Turn in your phone to Romans chapter 10, scroll, take out your scroll, uh, that's what I call your, you know, scroll, y'all get it? See, we're going back. Sorry, it's a dad joke. And pastor dad jokes are the worst. Pastor dad jokes are the very worst. Man, such a testimony today of God's goodness and grace. We sang earlier, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And this, you know, baptism is such a beautiful picture of God placing his love on us. Even before we know what's going on, before we're even aware of the situation, before we can exercise even faith, God's already at work in our lives, already breaking down walls, already making the art. Right, that's not even my, ser my sermon today. Right? Because he first loved me. This is the gracious and good God that we serve. Let's go to him in prayer before we begin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you do love us before we can even love you. That you have reached out and you have begun a good work in us that you say you will carry to completion. And so, Lord, we pray that today as we sit here and as we hear your word proclaimed, as we receive the Spirit's testimony in our own hearts, God, I pray that you would do your work in us that you would do your work in each person here today, that those whose hearts have grown cold toward you today would be warmed to your grace and your goodness and your love. Lord, would you warm up our hearts? Lord, we've been living through a pandemic and, and life is hard right now. In so many ways, we're just feeling the burden and the weight of it. And God, we need you to minister to us today. And so, Lord, through preaching, through the, the ministry of your spirit, Lord, through everything that's already taken place, communicate to us your goodness and your grace and your presence with us today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dante's Peak 
was a 1997 disaster film. This was back when they were making a lot of <laughs> disaster films. They didn't know 2020 was coming, did they? Uh, but anyway, back in, back in 1997, this film was released, Dante's Peak, and the main character uh, was named Harry Dalton, and Harry Dalton was played by uh, none other than Pierce Brosnan. And Harry Dalton was a scientist who studies volcanoes. And he ends up arriving into this small town called Dante's Peak. And they have just celebrated the fact that this small little community was named the second most desirable place to live in America. Dante's Peak, the second most desirable place to live in America. But the scientist comes into town and Harry Dalton leads the way in discovering that this volcano called Dante's Peak, which is line laid, which has been dormant, I don't know how to say that, which has laid dormant for many, many years, is now beginning to show signs that it's going to erupt. So Dalton begins to warn local government leaders and officials the volcano is going to erupt. The volcano is going to erupt. The volcano is going to erupt. And he's saying, he's saying, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. I'm showing you the evidence. But nobody wants to believe him. Why? Because they are, uh, they are so happy with where they are right now. They're so happy with the fact that they've been named the second most desirable place to live in America. And now we've got to evacuate thousands and thousands of people from this community. It'll ruin us. To evacuate is going to ruin us. They won't listen because they want to retain their status in the current situation. They want to retain the control and the, and the experience of life that they have right now. And they actually treat Dalton like a madman. They actually treat him like he's crazy. And if you watch the film, by the time they believe him, it's too late. It's too late. That film serves as a warning and a pr prophetic message, really, in that film, not just about volcanoes, but about something else today that we're going to see from God's Word. Such a fitting introduction to our passage. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is sounding the alarm. He is sounding the alarm to his fellow Jews, as we said last week, to those of his fellow race. But nobody is listening. Nobody is listening. And I want us to look at this first sentence in chapter 10 where he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. He's talking about his brother's according to the flesh, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Just like Brosnan's character running through the streets telling people, you've got to evacuate, you've got to evacuate, it's going to erupt. Paul is crying out to his brothers and sisters according to the flesh and saying, you've got to listen to me. You've got to listen. My desire, my prayer is that you would be saved. Not that I would ruin your day. Not that I would make your life uncomfortable. Yes, all of those things are true. But that's not the point. The point is that you would be saved. 
And so in this scripture this morning, uh, we're looking at verses 1 through 10, and he has two messages for his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. Two urgent messages, and the first one is this. Stop trying to establish your own righteousness. That's the first message. The second message is this. Start trusting in the righteousness of Christ. Stop trying to establish your own righteousness and start trusting in the righteousness of Christ. Those two messages, now we're going to get into it and break it down. Number one, stop trying to establish your own righteousness. That's the first urgent message that he has for them and for us. And he gives three reasons, and the first reason is found in verses 2 and 3. And he says here, for I bear them witness, he's talking about his fellow Jewish people, religious, very religious. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. What is zeal? Zeal is a, is a great enthusiasm. It's energy and it's enthusiasm for a cause. Do you know anybody who is zealous for a cause? And maybe they've started a Facebook group and they're, and they're out there. Um, they've become an influencer and they have, uh, they have a TikTok account and they're, and they're pushing a cause, right? You've seen this. It's everywhere today. Zeal, great energy and enthusiasm for a for a cause. And Paul says, that's good. I like that. I like that enthusiasm. I got this good to say about you. They have zeal for God. They are on fire for God. Jesus' disciples were the same way. Simon, one of his disciples, his nickname was the Zealot. Why? Because he was on fire for God. He was a zealot. He was committed to God and country. But there's the problem. The zeal, he says here, and God says to us, was not according to what? It was not according to knowledge. It was not according to knowledge. Can you guys say knowledge? It was not according to knowledge. You see, they had zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In fact, Paul says they were ignorant of something specific that they didn't know. And it was this. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. Ignorant of the righteousness of God. What is that talking about? Well, well look at this. He, he's saying that, that the Jewish people in their religion had reduced God's righteousness to a set of rules. They had reduced God's character to a set of rules and external requirements like dressing up for church and following rules about Sabbath and uh, about family relationships and what you do and don't do, all these rules. But the problem was that these requirements, even though they were strict, and nobody was stricter than the Pharisees, but the problem was, even though these requirements were strict, they were all doable. Everything that they gave them was doable. That if you wanted to be righteous... You could do it. You could apply yourself and you could be righteous. 
They misunderstood, they misunderstood and they underestimated and they undervalued the actual righteousness of God. They underestimated and they undervalued the actual righteousness of God because they did not consider uh, the heart of the law. See, they focused on the externals, on the outside, on cleaning up the outside of the cup, as Jesus said. But they did not consider the inside, the heart of the law. Do you remember what Jesus said about the law in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember that he said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And they're thinking, yeah, okay, check. Never done that outwardly. And Jesus goes right to the heart and he said, if you have looked at a woman in lust... You've already committed adultery in your heart. See, Jesus was good at explaining the righteousness of God, that it goes deeper than just the externals of religion. It goes to the heart of the matter, to the, to the motivations of our heart, all the way down deep. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. And they're all standing around thinking, duh, yeah, no, I've never done that. I've never murdered anybody. And then Jesus goes right to the heart, doesn't he? And he said, if you have envy and hatred in your heart toward your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. See, Jesus was explaining that the law is not just external requirements, but that it's about the heart. It's about what's deeper. It's about the motives. And Paul here is saying that you have zeal for God, but it's based on your obedience. It's based on the fact that you think you're okay. You think you can do it, and you think you're better than everybody else. And you don't see that the volcano is about to erupt. You don't see what's coming. They underestimated and they undervalued the righteousness of God. See, God's standard is so much higher than even the most religious person can achieve. Think about, I want you to think about your grandmother or whoever it is in your life that is the most religious, most devout person that you can imagine. You got it? Maybe they're sitting in this room. Even the most devout cannot reach the righteousness of God. Even the most cannot reach the righteousness of God. And the result of trying to self-make our righteousness the result of saying we're going to be okay here is that at some point God's righteousness catches up to us and it's at the point of judgment that it catches up with us. And we see, oh my God, your righteousness was so much greater than I ever imagined and now I'm lost. And now I'm lost forever. And so Paul is pleading with them and he's saying, I'm telling you, the righteousness of God is so much greater than you think it is. And your little religious duties and everything is not going to achieve what you think it's going to achieve. It's going to result in condemnation before a holy and righteous God. And so the second reason he gives that we should turn away from trying to establish our own righteousness is this in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does that mean? He's saying... The law has already been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. 
And so you don't have to keep establishing your own righteousness. Jesus Christ has already done it. He's already fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law already. And, and Christ is, is not Jesus' last name, by the way. It's his title. And it means Messiah. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and all of Paul's Jewish friends and neighbors and family were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah who would come and save them. And Paul is telling them here, Christ is the end of the law. He's already come. He's already done it. He's already accomplished it. He is the end of the law. And that word end is the word in Greek, telos. And it means not just end, like end of the line, but it means fulfillment. It means purpose. You see, the Messiah, the Christ, He fulfilled in His life. Jesus, when He came down here, He was the end of the law. That means He fulfilled the law. He even says it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. See, Christ is the end of the law. He came and He said, look, it's harder than you think, and I'm here to fulfill it. Oh, you can fulfill it, Jesus? Yes, I am. Right? Yes, I am. Because Jesus is not just a man. He is the eternal Son of God. And in His life, He was the end of the law for righteousness. And that has an impact not just on Jesus, but on us. Because if Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness, then that means you're not. Right? It means you're not the end of the law, and it means I'm not the end of the law. But Jesus is the end of the law. And so Paul urges his fellow Jews, and he urges us today to stop trying to establish our own righteousness. Because zeal without true knowledge of God's righteousness is deadly. It leads to condemnation, and the law has already been fulfilled by Christ. It's already been fulfilled. We're going to talk more about that later. The third reason he gives here for people to stop building your own righteousness building up your own name. The third reason, he says, is seeking to establish your own righteousness is insanity. It's not just a bad idea. It's actually insane. Look at verse 5. He says, and now he takes it back to Moses. Why? Because they listen to Moses. He says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but let's break that down a little bit. He says, the person who decides, I'm going to do the commandments, Moses says, all right, you got to live by them. In other words, if this is how you're going to be righteous, then you got to go all the way. And not only that, but you are responsible for going all the way. And any, any moment that you fall short, you're responsible. What's the definition of insanity? Insanity, some have said, is to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. See, Paul mentions Moses because he's trying to point out the fact that that the, the people of Israel, the Jews, have been attempting to follow the law for a very, very, very long time. 
and that they have been attempting to build their own righteousness, to establish their own righteousness for a very, very, very long time. And he says, that is insane. He quotes from Leviticus chapter 18, you shall live by them. See, the law is like a never-ending treadmill. The law is like a never-ending treadmill. If you get on that treadmill of law-keeping, there's no way off. You have to stay on even when it gets faster and faster. And have you seen those videos of people running as fast as they can on the treadmills? That's how keeping the law is. It's just complete all-out running, full speed ahead, and you're keeping the law, and you're keeping the law, and you're keeping the law. You're seeking to establish your own righteousness. It's never-ending until one day, what happens? You slam into the wall off the back of that thing because it always leads to failure. It always leads to disappointment. It always leads to breaking down. And Paul is saying to his people and he's saying to us today that you can get off the treadmill a different way. You can get off the treadmill a different way. Don't keep going back to the treadmill of law keeping. It's insanity. I'm going to do better this year, right? Every beginning of the year we say, I'm going to do better this year. And what do we put our emphasis? We put it on ourselves doing better. I mean, how many of us at the beginning of 2020 said, I'm going to do better this year, and then look what happened. We, f- we fell off that treadmill into the wall. And I think that's God's mercy. But don't be deceived. Law-keeping is very attractive. Law-keeping religion is very attractive. And it, it actually is attractive for some good reasons. Some of you know Kendrick Lamar. And in his 2017 album titled Damn, these words are in the track titled Yah. It says this. He says, I'm not a politician. I'm not about a religion. I'm an Israelite. Don't call me black no more. That word is only a color. It ain't facts no more. My cousin called, my cousin Carl Duckworth said, know my worth. And Deuteronomy says, we all been cursed. Now you might hear that and think, okay, that's weird. What's he talking about? Lamar, who has also in some ways claimed the name of Christ, is obviously influenced by a modern form of law-keeping, of establishing your own righteousness. There is a group called the Black Hebrew Israelites. And, 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 I'm, and, and I want you to hear this. This group was formed in response to the incredible damage that white supremacy has done in Western civilization to black and brown people. And so when you look at the damage that was done and you think, how could God allow this to happen to my people? Slavery, oppression, having your own life devalued in such incredible ways by society, not to mention individual people which still goes on today? Why would God allow such terrible things? Black Hebrew Israelites are actually attempting to answer that question. They're attempting to answer the question, why has God allowed this to happen? 
And, and, they, and they found an answer in the Old Testament. They found an answer in the Old Testament. And actually, Kendrick Lamar's album title, Damn, is referring to the condemnation that God tells His people they will experience for disobedience. It's a theological title. It's not a curse word. It's a theological word. And as Lamar puts it, Deuteronomy say that we all been cursed. And so as these hurt and oppressed people have looked at the, at the words of Deuteronomy, they have seen an answer for the question, why is God allowing this suffering? And you know what their answer is? We haven't obeyed Him. We haven't followed His law. And so, today, if you meet a black Hebrew Israelite, they are very sincere about following the Old Testament law. Because they believe that the only way to get freed from this curse that they are experiencing as black people in the western hemisphere is to go back and obey God's laws. To go back and obey God's laws in order to remove the curse. And isn't that exactly what Paul's brothers and sisters were doing back in the day? They were looking for a way to remove the curse. They were an oppressed minority, and they were looking to the law to provide a way to, for God, if we just obey these laws, you'll remove the curse. And what they missed was what Paul was crying out to them, that God has already removed the curse. He sent His Son to remove the curse for all who believe. That it's not about you. It's not about you and your obedience. It's not about any of us in our obedience, our law-keeping. Dr. Eric Mason is a pastor in Philadelphia of Epiphany Fellowship Church. And you should follow his blogs, books, whatever. He's releasing a book next month called Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. And I can't wait to read it. I follow Dr. Mason. I listen to his sermons. They're long. They're like 50-minute, 60-minute sermons. (laughs) But Dr. Mason, I was thinking about Dr. Mason because he engages with black Hebrew Israelites. And he has YouTube videos of him on the street meeting with guys, engaging. This is a picture of Dr. Mason. Engaging with these men and trying to explain from Scripture that yes, while these laws were the way that this is what God requires, but there is a Savior There is a Savior who has come who is the true Israelite. Jesus is the true Israelite. None of us. Jesus is the true Israelite. And in His life, we all, no matter what our ethnicity, we all can be in Him. We all can be saved in Him. See, God's doing something much better than the promises of the world. The promises of the world say you need to identify this way. You need to identify that way. Our lives and our experiences and our ethnicities are all beautiful and important. But they are not our core identity. Our core identity has to be in Christ. And God wants us to to listen to those voices, those warning voices that say, stop trying to build your own righteousness. 
Stop trying to establish your own righteousness. Now, let me ask you, how are you doing that? It may not be through uh, black Hebrew Israelites, although there are some in our community that are engaged in that right here. But the question I want you to ask is, how are you seeking to establish your own righteousness? Let me give you a few ideas, a few examples, things to think about. Do you feel superior in some ways because of your morality? Does being a good person, and I know some of you, some of you are good people. You really are. You make the front page of the Times and Democrat, you're so good. Really. You re- I'm not, I mean, it's true. You're great people. But does that goodness, does that morality become your righteousness? Does it become the thing that you feel gives you standing before God? Some of us, it's not our morality, it's our cause. It's our political beliefs. And we, have, we hold our political beliefs and they become, in some ways, our righteousness. Because we, we say, how could anyone else have any other view? And we hold up our beliefs and we say, this is righteous. And maybe it is. But if it becomes our righteousness before God, what a flimsy foundation, our political beliefs. Reputation. People look up to you. People call you when they need help. You're the one who's serving behind the scenes and nobody ever knows because you're a tireless volunteer. But does your volunteering, does your commitment to pray for people become for you a righteousness that you've established on your own? And you look to that as, you know what, God's going to get my back because I've always got his back. I'm always serving him and so he's certainly going to serve me. You see how sneaky it is? How we can just build our own righteousness, establish our own righteousness? Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your social awareness. Maybe it's your skill in your job. There are so many things. Your, your, your skill as a parent, that has been a source of righteousness for me. False righteousness. Where I feel like I'm a good parent and then Something happens, I'm like, well, no, I guess, I guess I'm not. <laughs> God tends to break down our sources of righteousness, and that's his mercy. Paul says to us, stop trying to establish your own righteousness. And then he turns it in verse 6, and he says, start trusting in the righteousness of Christ. Start trusting in the righteousness of Christ And he gives us a few reasons for that. Verse 6 says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's returning to that theme that Christ has already fulfilled all righteousness. And so you can start trusting in it. Why? Because it's already done. You can trust in it because it's already done. The righteousness is already built. You don't have to depend on your parenting or your political beliefs or anything else to get righteous. 
You just trust in Christ. And he shares his righteousness with us. And see, here Paul is quoting again the Old Testament. He's quoting Moses again. He's interacting with their beliefs from Deuteronomy here. And he says, this is the scripture that says, do not say in your heart, or the, the, the quote is, who will ascend to heaven? And the second quote is, who will descend to the abyss? See, they were looking for a savior already. This scripture in Deuteronomy was given to the Israelites when they had received the law. And they looked at the law and they were like, ah, this is hard. <laughs> They looked at the law and they said, we think we can do it. But they got into it and then they were saying, look, you need to send somebody to us to help us with this. And he says, who's going who's gonna to ascend into heaven and bring somebody back to help us with this? Who's going to go into the sea, into the abyss and help us with this? They're already looking for a savior. And Paul tells them, somebody did. He says, Stop looking. Right? He says, who will ascend? That's to bring Christ down, right? Christ has already come down. Christ has already descended. And then the next part, he says, who will, or has already ascended. And then who will descend? That's to bring Christ up from the dead. He's already rose from the dead. He's saying Christ is the end of the law here again. He's saying he has fulfilled all of these things that you're looking for. The Savior you're looking for has already come. It's already done. The second thing he says is that it just takes faith. All it takes is faith. Look at verse 8 and 9. This is beautiful. Some of you have this memorized. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The answer, Paul says, is right in front of you. The answer is right in front of you. It's faith. We talk a lot about faith, right? But what is faith? What is faith? Faith is not just mental, intellectual assent. It's not just knowing something. But faith is, the word I love is trust. Faith is putting your full weight on what Christ has done for you. Okay, it's it's putting your full weight. I don't know if I can trust this bench. Do you think I can trust this bench? I didn't try this earlier. I'm not sure this is going to work. I have weak faith. I do. I, have, I actually have weak faith. I think I might fall. But when I put my weight on the bench, I'm putting my faith in the, in the bench. Right? It's putting my full weight on this object below me right now, which I'm a little unsure is going to hold me, but it's holding me, right? Amen? It's holding me. See, it's not the quality of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. It's the one that you put your faith in that matters. You can have weak faith. You can say, God, I'm not sure you can handle this. But when you step up onto his shoulders, when you put your full weight on him, he will carry you. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God says it doesn't take building your own righteousness. It just takes faith. It just takes standing on me. It just takes accepting my grace that I've poured out for you. And the righteousness that I've earned in my life. Read about Jesus he was righteous, not just on the outside, but on the inside. In those hidden moments, he was righteous. 
Faith, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. This is what Mykesha did today. Mykesha confessed with her mouth because she believes in her heart that Christ is her righteousness, that Christ is her Savior. Hallelujah. 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 Our faith is in Jesus' work and in his life. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know that word Lord. We talked about Christ earlier. Do you remember what Christ means? Messiah, right. Do you know what Lord means? Yahweh. If you read the Old Testament, Yah, I mean, this is Kendrick Lamar's song, right? It's called Yah. His song is called Yah. He's looking for Yah. And the scripture says, Jesus is Yah. Right here. Jesus is Lord. See, that word Lord is used throughout the Bible to, def- to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh, the Lord God. And so here, when we confess, we're confessing that Jesus is actually Yahweh, that Jesus is Lord in, in his identity, that he is divine, that he is the God of all creation, that he is the almighty God who can do anything and does everything has all power, that he has all majesty, all grace. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. Yes, that Jesus, the one who came in the flesh, that Jesus, the one who was lowly and who was humble, that Jesus who gave up his life on a cross like a lamb for the slaughter, that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe. That's what we trust in. I'm not trusting in some dude. I'm trusting in Yahweh. I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation, for my rescue. I'm trusting in him. And for all who believe, that's who you're trusting in as well. And not only that, but that God raised him from the dead. See, we believe that his life and his death were received by God because he rose from the dead. That Jesus' life and death, his Offering for us was received by God because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Historical, man, we, Easter's coming. We're going to talk more about historical evidence of the resurrection. Joel's going to preach a sermon on that with doubting Thomas in the mix. Am I right? And we're going to hear more about that. That resurrection doesn't just happen, y'all, but it did. Resurrection doesn't happen, but it did. And that's what we believe. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he has ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and he prays for us even now. He prays that that Jesus is Yahweh and he prays for us even now. Oh. Paul says, brothers and sisters, those of you who I love, those of you who are at Dante's peak and you're just content in a situation that's going to blow up soon, that you would receive, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you would believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead and that you will be saved. And he wraps it up in verse 10 and he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. These are parallel words. With the heart is parallel to with the mouth. Because what we believe, if, it, if we're not able to say it, we don't really believe it. See that? It's, it, it's public faith. 
Christianity is not a private matter. It's a public matter. With the heart one believes, believes is parallel to the word confesses. Because what we believe and what we confess need to be the same thing. It's not a two-step process. It's one step. Believe, confess. Believe, confess. Believe, confess. Right? Make it plain. And then the third parallel in this sentence is justified and saved. Justified is a terrible English word. It's a terrible English word. I think we use it because of tradition of translation. This word in the Greek, which I read, is the word righteous. It's actually the same word everywhere else in this passage translated righteous. Look at your Bible translations. Some of them say righteous. CSB says righteous, Wendy. (laughs) With the heart one believes and is righteous. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, this whole thing is about being righteous. This whole thing is about believing to be righteous. The whole thing is about grasping God's righteousness, recognizing I'll never measure up, and in humility, trusting in Christ who's given us His righteousness. That's Christianity. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to have faith. To be saved is to be made righteous through faith in Christ. I just want to end with a few applications how do we apply this message from God today? Just two thoughts. And I've really already given it to you. The first one is this. Stop trying to establish your own righteousness. Examine your life. Examine the ways that you are seeking to establish your righteousness. And this is the key. When do you get frustrated? When you get frustrated, that is a clue that you are trying to establish righteousness in this area of your life. You're not looking to Christ for righteousness. You're looking to whatever that is. And when it doesn't work out for you, you get what? Right. Frustration is a key. (laughs) Okay, it's a clue. So check that out. When do you get frustrated? What makes you feel superior to other people? That's another clue. If, if you feel, if you're, if you're scrolling through your feed or if you're uh, driving in traffic and you feel superior to someone, if you're at work, and you feel superior to someone, that's a clue that you might be trying to build and establish your own righteousness in that area. And what God wants us to do is to stop trying to establish our righteousness, to lay that stuff down. Lay it down. Walk away from it. And and hand it to the Lord and say, look, Lord, I am never going to establish my righteousness through this. I know. Deliver me from the pursuit of it. Jesus didn't come to abolish these good things, but he fulfilled it, and I don't have to. One way that we can explore this truth about God is to read the Word of God. To read the Word of God for ourselves. So much of our knowledge about God comes from our parents or our friends, or some YouTube video that we saw. But I want to urge you to read the Word for yourself. 
not as a religious duty, not to establish your righteousness. That's not, I hope you hear me, that's not what I'm saying. But the reason for it is so that we could actually have zeal for God with knowledge. Right? Not like the people Paul's talking to, not like us most of the time, zeal without knowledge. But we actually know God, not just about Him, but we know Him through His Word and by His Spirit who communicates His will to us through His Word. So, so read the Word for yourself. I know it's a challenge. Pick one verse. Read one verse. Don't, tr- don't start in Genesis and try to read, read all the way through, okay? I mean, that's good to do, but start somewhere. Ask me. I don't know where to start, Pastor. Where do I start? I'll, I'll give you something, a place to start, okay? Read the Word. Learn about God's righteousness. Learn about your need for a Savior. And that's the second point. The second application is simply start trusting. Start trusting the righteousness of Christ. It's already done. He's already done it. And we can trust him. Get up on the, get up on the, the bench. Trust him. Like my Keisha. Start trusting. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for, oh man, Romans 10. I was not looking forward to preaching Romans 9, 10, or 11, but you are just teaching me. Lord, you are teaching me, and you are teaching us. So, Father, I pray that you would um, let these words, um, not my words, but your word, Lord, let your word um, infiltrate our hearts that are stony, our hearts that are unbelieving in so many ways our hearts that are seeking to establish our own righteousness. Lord, let your words infiltrate and give us faith, Lord, faith to believe. Lord, give us faith to believe. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, brothers and sisters, we are going to continue to worship now. And so I'll invite our musicians to come on back up and lead us in singing of God's grace.